Wow. Y'all are the real deal. Y'all, I've been, I've been inspired by you all, uh, and you just don't, you don't even know who I am, but I've been following you all, and uh, that kind of sounds creepy out of context, but I've been encouraged by you guys, because uh, probably about three or four years ago, I, uh, I saw this guy on Facebook uh, named Byron, and he, was pl he planted this church out in Beaumont, Texas, and I'm from Sacramento, California, and I also planted a, a church out there, and uh, I saw him like on these uh, past, that's what I realized where it was. It was these pastor pages uh, that were these groups, I mean, and he would always be like asking stuff. He's a learner. He's like a, uh, a analytical, like, hey, how do we do this? How do we get better? He's always pursuing growth and how he can uh, evangelize, reach a community and, and preach Jesus better. And I noticed um, he did this thing called uh, the simple gospel. Anybody remember that? So, and he was just preaching verse by verse through the uh, book of Mark. I thought that was pretty cool. And then uh, about three months after I saw that, um, uh, our staff got together and was like, hey, I feel like the Lord wants us to preach verse by verse through the book of Mark. And I was like, man, that is an incredible original idea. Uh, uh, let's, let's do this. And uh, I actually wanted to call it the simple gospel too. Uh, but they were like, no, we called ours Marked by Jesus. And just two weeks ago, we finished our series uh, and three years later, 76 sermons later. But, but uh, that's how I first connected with him because I called him up and I'm like, hey, what are you doing? Give me ideas. What, what's been working for you? And so for the past three or four years, I've been following uh, uh, Byron and Redemption and just what you guys are doing. And I'm inspired. And I, I said this in the first service that when I was preaching Mark and uh, Byron is basically the John the Baptist of the book of Mark for us, because if I didn't know what to preach, I'd just go on Redemption Church's YouTube and watch the sermon and be like, okay, thanks for that three-point outline, Byron. I really appreciate it. <laughs> and uh, y'all are laughing. That wasn't a joke. Uh, I really, <laughs> I actually did that. Um, and so I'm, I'm so grateful for Byron and his his desire to grow, his desire to do what no one else is doing, his, his grit to just say, I'm going to, uh, to go after what God, to audaciously take steps of faith and not just settle for mundane. And I feel like one of the things that marks Redemption Church, as I was just standing over here while y'all were worshiping, while we were worshiping, was that you are a church hungry for the presence of God. Right. I sense that. And I, and, and I feel like it's so easy to get up here and preach. Sometimes we preach places and it's just like force feeding when you like, you know, we have kids and they're like, I don't want to eat my carrots. I don't want to eat my broccoli. And you're just like, eat them, eat the food. I feel like you all are just hungry. And that makes it so easy just for me just to get out of the way and be like, there, there it is. Let's, let's have a full course buffet today of God's word. And um, so I'm so grateful for this opportunity Y'all are going with us to Florida because you've invested in us in a, in a big way. And every salvation, every deliverance, every marriage that's restored, every teenager that gets off of drugs, is you have a place in. You, are, you are, have the ground floor investment in. And it is because of your faithfulness, your generosity, your, your heart to serve that that's going to happen. So I just want to let you know, you may never know about it. But uh, you will, now on this side of heaven, you won't know about it. But God is going to use your faithfulness. And, and I'm grateful for this church. I can't say that enough. But, uh, but we're, we're, we're literally in the middle of uh, moving to Florida. And by literal, I mean like we drove 1,800 miles, and I think we have 1,200 to go. So, uh, so we, my minivan is parked out there with like almost everything I own in the back. 
and uh, some of you all are thinking about busting and stealing it, some stuff right now, but joke's on you. I actually don't own a lot of stuff. I sold pretty much everything I own and because it's so expensive to ship stuff. I'm like, I'm just going to buy new stuff uh, once we get out there, and it saved us a lot of money. So uh, if you want, go for it, but joke's on you. Um, but we're literally in the middle of this, and, and I've been friends with Byron, and it was such a cool opportunity, and I believe it's a God-ordained moment uh, for, for me because I do feel something so heavy on my heart to share with you on this Father's Day. And I want to talk, and I'm, get, and I'm so encouraged to, to keep this series going. I've been loving this series called The Gospel According to David. I've been watching, I've been getting fed but just by watching online from, from this, uh, this series. But I want to talk to you about David's mighty warriors. There's this portion of scripture that describes these amazing men that did some noteworthy things, so noteworthy that it got written down in the most, the, the best book, the best-selling book of all time is called the Bible. And, uh, and it has some great uh, noteworthy things attached to those names. But uh, the thing that I feel like God put on my heart was to encourage some people that have grown weary of fighting. I feel like I, I want to be your corner man today. If you're familiar with like a boxing match, goes into the ring, you, you do a couple rounds, and every, every, you get 30 or 60 seconds in between rounds to sit on the stool right there in the corner of the of the ring and your corner man not only gets you some water and cools you down, but he encourages you and he tells you what you need to say because mentally you're exhausted and you, and, and, or physically you're exhausted and that causes your mental energy to also lower and you need to focus on the right things and you need truth spoken into your ear. I want to be that person. That is what I feel sent to do today is to speak truth into you in the midst of a fight because I believe some of you are in the middle of the fight and you're growing weary. And it's exhausting fighting the fight that you're in the middle of. And I want to tell you to not throw in the towel. Some of us may have thrown in that white towel. That means that white flag of surrender. And you're saying like, no, I give up. I'm, I, can't, I can't do it. I'm not fighting. I'm not going to fight this fight. It's too hard. I'm here to encourage you that it's the fight that matters. It's the fight. That, and what is on the other side of the fight? It's, it's impact. It's purpose, it's legacy, fighting for your marriage, fighting for your kids, fighting for making your life count. Because if, you're, if you forfeit the fight, what happens? If you say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm throwing in this fight, I'm throwing in the towel in this fight. What happens is you are forfeiting your purpose. Because my, my biggest fear, I don't know about you all, but I believe it's, it's an innate uh, desire, a natural desire to make your life count, to have meaning in your life, to get to the end of your life and say, my life made a difference. That is a God-given desire that is placed inside of each and every human, is to say, I was placed here for a reason. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm Christ's workmanship, and I was created to do good works that I should walk in them. That is a God-given desire each one of us has. And around that desire, around that purpose, there is a spiritual battle that is taking place. The spiritual enemy, his name is Satan, and the, Satan, the devil, wants to stop you from walking in your purpose. And there is a fight. Scripture describes it as a spiritual fight that is not flesh and blood, but it's rulers and authorities and cosmic powers in this present darkness that is over you stepping into your calling. So if you've ever experienced opposition, when you say, you know what, I have this God-given dr dream. I feel like I just want to step out and make a difference. And when you do that, what you notice to happen that day or that week is this opposition, right. this distraction, this frustration. 
this thorn in your side, this thing that stops you from focusing on what you started doing, this discouragement. If you sense that, I want to tell you that you should be encouraged because you're making the devil nervous. I believe today there's some people in this room that are making the devil nervous. That when you step into your purpose, when you realize that in, in humility that God has given you a potential to change the trajectory of someone else's life, the devil gets nervous and he's going to throw his best fiery arrow at you. He's going to throw anything to detour, detour you, to delay you, to discourage you, or to defeat you. He's going to throw everything. And what I want to tell you today is to not throw in that towel, to fight the good fight, to, fight, to not grow weary, to, to, to keep on fighting. David's men were noteworthy because they didn't throw in the towel. I felt like encouraging some of you today, and what I want, my, my prayer today, my, my goal is, and, and my philosophy with, with preaching, is that I'm just pointing you to the truth. I'm not the author. I'm not the one with truth. I just want to want to be a reflection. I want to deflect. I don't want to point you to scripture, because you want to know a really cool fact? You don't have to wait till Sunday to find out what ha God has to say to you. I, I, me and Byron don't have access to any special, like, level of, like, holiness that, that you all don't have access to. You know we read the same Bible you do. You don't have to wait till Sunday to find out what God has to say to you. What really would make a difference is, is when you start to find truth for yourself because that's an Old Testament theology of waiting till that one person goes into the Holy of Holies and he talks to God, he comes out and tells everybody else what, what God has to say. But the veil was torn in, in, in Jesus and everyone has access to talk to God, to have fellowship, to have communion with God. And what I wanna tell you, just a reminder, this wasn't in my notes, but I wanna encourage you that everyone has access to communicate with God and to find truth. And today, I'm just, I'm not the one that with the truth, and I'm not the only one that's talking to God, but, but my prayer is that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you are all finding the source of truth, which is in Scripture. And so that's what I'm doing to you, uh, for you guys today. I'm, I'm preaching to myself because this passage has been preaching to me, speaking to me all week. 2 Samuel 23, the description of David's mighty warriors. These are the names of the mighty men, uh, starting in verse 8 who David had, Joshebev, Beshebeth. He's got a lot of funny names. I think there was, should be a Bible college class that just tells you how to pronounce all these crazy names. I did not take that. Uh, so the Tekamanite, he was a chief of three. He wielded a spear, spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. That's a big flex right there. Verse nine, and next to him, so that's the first person we look at. There's three people here. And next to him, among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the son of Ahohai, he was with David when they defeated the Philistines who were, the, who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. But he rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary. There's that word. Some of us have grown weary. But when his, his hand has grown weary and his hand clung to the sword, he didn't give up. But the Lord brought a great victory. And the men returned afterwards uh, only to strip the slain, which means they came in to, to reap the spoils, reap the, the fruit of what they didn't sow. But next to him, another man named Shammah, the son of Aji, uh, the Herite, the Philistines gathered together at Lahai, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And again, the men fled. They fled from the Philistines, 
But what did this dude do? He took his stand in the midst of the plot. I'm here to encourage today that some of us need to not retreat when everybody else is retreating. You are called to be a mighty warrior of God and take the stand when everyone else is fleeing in fear. You are called to take the stand. And when you take the stand, you'll see the Lord work a great victory, which is exactly what it says there. Let me pray that God would speak to us from his word. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us. Thank you for dying on the cross, tearing the veil, and opening up our communication, opening up so we can have fellowship and communion with you, that we can hear your voice, that we can read your inspired word, and you could speak to direct directly to everybody's circumstance and situation. Everyone walked in here with a different set of circumstances, but I pray it would be you, Holy Spirit, that speak to us a divine word, a rhema word, just for this moment, for every unique individual in this room, that lives would be changed. And God, we take authority over the enemy that doesn't want us to hear what you have, and we just say, God, speak to us. Humble our hearts and let your word uh, that never returns void have its work inside of us. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said. Amen. Man, I'm so pumped. You all are the best. I can't tell you enough. This is, this is, really, this is really cool. I've ne never done this. I've never driven across the country with my nine-year-old daughter and a van packed full of all my possessions and preached halfway through. I don't know if you've ever done that. I never have. So this is new, new to me too. Um, but I, I, I kind of said it in my prayers that's, that the enemy doesn't want to he for you to hear what I'm, I want to say. Um, and you, the enemy, I should say it, phrase it differently. The enemy doesn't want you to hear what God wants to speak to you. Because there was a ton of opposition just around preaching this. I texted Byron this morning. I felt a ton of anxiety. And some of it is just the physical aspects of driving across the the country, uh, so like I think we have done 1,800 miles so far. It's been a blast, but uh, physically I've been feeling it. Uh, luckily, Amaris got me a double, a triple shot of something, so I'm like good feeling that way for the next few hours. But, but I, I say that to say that, that something significant is going to take place today. I've been praying it. We've been claiming it. Prayer team's been praying. And I want you to know that, that God has something unique for you. You're not just here to check a box because um, I sense that in the room. There's not, there's not this obligation mentality. I sense that there's a hunger for the, for the Lord. And you're here not just so you can go uh, feel good about yourself this week and say, man, I did that Christian thing. I checked that box off. And I was like, yes, I'm a good Christian. But I sense in this room there's this desire for more of God. There's this desire to hear God. And when you, when you have that humility, there's a promise that comes with it that, that 1 Peter 7 describes as God opposes the pride, but gives grace to the humble. And I sense that humility and that desire to know God and hear from him. And, and I, I'm just claiming the, that fulfillment of that verse in this room. I want to ask a few questions um, to you today. Uh, I don't think normally that's what the corner man would do. So I, maybe the analogy doesn't work. He probably wouldn't be asking you this prodigy questions. He would just be saying you can do it. But I think questions help stir up uh, and help us understand the fight that we're in. So I got five questions. The first question is this, are you oblivious to the fight? Because some people are losing the fight because we're unaware that we're in a fight. You can't win a battle that you don't think exists. You, you can't win the battle that you're not even aware is happening. And a lot of, lot of people, a lot of Christians 
are just unaware of the spiritual warfare that's happening. Uh, I believe it was three weeks ago, whenever Byron preached on uh, David and Goliath, and he talked about uh, the spiritual warfare aspect of it. And I was driving to a coffee meeting as I was listening to that sermon, and the Lord just revealed to me how much spiritual warfare was happening, and I was just chalking it up to circumstance. I was feeling discouraged. I was feeling some kind of way. You know when you can't put your finger on what's frustrating you and it's frustrating that you can't figure out what's frustrating you? Anybody ever been there before? That was me. And when Byron was talking about how, how he was in a similar situation and he realized there was spiritual warfare, that was, that was really what was getting him. And he just got on his face before the Lord and just started crying out to the Lord and, and fighting the fight that matters, fighting the fight that, that we need to be aware of. Something changed in my heart. And, and, I, and I texted him that right then because, I was, because what shifted was I was focused on the natural, but the fight was actually supernatural. And that's exactly what scripture says in, in Ephesians chapter 6. A lot of us know it. It's not, it's not flesh and blood. The, the, we do not wrestle against flesh and, gut and blood, but what do we battle against? Uh, but against the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers, all these types of rulership of authorities and powers over this present darkness. So what's the opposite of darkness? It's the light. And, and that is the battle of light and dark, of good and evil. And you are light bearers. You are bearers of the light in a world that is dark, that is a present evil, a present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so when you're fighting this fight and you feel like, man, there's all this, all this opposition and you just chalk it up to circumstance, and I'm not about just calling every little thing the devil. Like I stubbed my toe, it's the devil. Oh, my, my tire blew out, it's the devil. But I will say that the devil can use anything and everything to get you to discourage and to stop you from walking into your purpose. So are you oblivious to the fight? Because some of us just need to wake up and realize there's spiritual warfare over your purpose. That the enemy is scared when you start realizing your potential. The enemy is nervous when you start realizing that you can make a difference in the kingdom and he'll start throwing anything and everything at you. And all you need to do is be aware. As 1 Peter 5, 8, scripture is just encouraging us. The author of, of 1 Peter, Peter himself, was, was equipping the leaders of the churches in the scattered area that, that's modern-day Turkey and all these new churches that were starting up. And they were the leaders of this church making an impact. And, and Peter was just encouraging them just to be aware Aware of what? 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded and alert. Be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know who he's seeking? You know who that someone is? Is not, is not the pew fillers. Is not the people that are just coming to church and checking a box, and he wants to keep those people nice and comfy. He wants to go after, he wants to devour those that, that when you start to, in your mind and in your heart and in your actions, say, I'm going to make a difference, that God has equipped me, I'm his workmanship, he set out to do good works, I'm, a, I'm receiving that truth, and I'm going to step out and believe it. Yeah. I'm going to let my faith be proven that it's not dead by putting it into action. Right. And, and, and when you do that, that is who the devil is prowling around looking for you to devour, looking for you to detour, to discourage, or to defeat. And so my encouragement to you is put on your spiritual, the spiritual lens that you can see that the fight is not physical, it's not flesh and blood, but it's happening around you. The second thing I want to encourage you with is are you excusing yourself from the fight? 
Are you excusing yourself from the fight? See, this, this is what irks me is that some people think ministry is just for one person every Sunday, that one person does ministry once a week. Uh, you can bring people to church and, and let them minister to them. But that is such a horrible game plan. If that was God's game plan, you said, okay, one guy in this group of people is going to do the ministry. But I don't know how that theology started developing in the church. But I want to I just say, that is not what Ephesians 4 describes. Right. Ephesians 4 says, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What does that mean? You all are the saints. You are made righteous. You are be given that title of a saint. Not because, you're, not because you never sinned before, but that you have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. And you are a saint. And scripture calls you to do the work of the ministry. And it's not just the one people. It's not the people that have gone to Bible college. Not the people with the pastor term uh, in front of it. Or the, the Bible MDiv or the, what, certain letters after it that have got a Bible college degree or have a have a certificate of ministry, or have anything. I'm all about all the, the studies and the, 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 um, the credentials. I'm all about it. But don't let anything excuse you from the work of the ministry. And don't start to think that there is only a select few that do ministry. If you do that, you are an, that's an insult to God's plan. Like, that is an insult to say, like, that was God's plan to, to reach the world, is like, yeah, well, if you're, you're either called to ministry or you can work 40 hours a week to pay the people so they can do ministry. I like, please don't believe in that. That is a lie straight from the enemy. And so what I want to encourage you with is to never excuse yourself. Because we can be so easy. I think it's a, it's, it's a sin nature. It's a human default to start to say, it's, and it's an insecurity to say, no, nah, that's not for me. Because God will give you a dream that's bigger than yourself. Um, and, and so it's a natural reaction to say, no, nah, I can't do that. When, when, and notice, there's no word super in front of it. It's just, it's a natural reaction to say, nah, like I can't do that. But the supernatural means that it's going to be beyond the natural, beyond you. And the Holy Spirit's going to work through you and his power is going to be made perfect in the midst of your weakness. And so it's a great, if you, if you feel like it's an overwhelming task of the dream that God's placed inside of you, that means it is a God dream. Because if you're like, man, I can do this, then God's like, all right, go ahead and do it. Uh, let me know if you need me. You know, Moses was so quick to make an excuse, even though he heard the voice of God from a burning bush. The, 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 uh, the audible voice of God through a burning bush that wasn't lighting up. And he heard it still. And he's like, Moses, do this. Like the creator of the universe is he's calling you to do it. But he was still like, nah. I can't, uh, nah. Someone else. I can't talk. I, I don't know how to my words. I can't talk very well. God's like, no. Every excuse that Moses gave him, he was like, no. What's in your hand? I've equipped you. I've called you. I don't want anybody else. Don't excuse yourself from what the dreams that God has placed in you. Don't excuse yourself from the ministry he's called you to. No one else can fight the fight that you're called to fight. Don't say someone else will do it. Don't just say the person who's holier that will do it. You know, want to know why I bring this up? It's because that same description of mighty men years before in 1 Samuel, the first description of these same exact mighty men was not a description of being mighty, was not a description of being respected. Here's the description straight from 1 Samuel 22. Verse 2, 
all those who were in trouble, all those who were in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul, gathered to him, which is David, and he became a commander over them. And there with him were about 400 men. Do you see the description right there? Those are the mighty men. Before they became mighty, you, you might think, oh, they were well-respected. They're from the best family line. They were, no, they were in distress. They were in trouble. They were running from something. He, they owed people money. People wanted to kill them, and they were like, man, where do I go? Let's, go? let's go hang out with David. He's pursuing righteousness. This is a leadership principle, too, because so often we look, and as me as a church planner, I just want to find the people that are already equipped and already ready to do ministry. But I think part of our job as, as pastors and, and leaders in this place is not to find the people that have it all together, but be willing to walk with people and be willing to find the people who are in distress be willing to find the people that are, that, are, that, are be, that are the outcasts and nobody else would pick for the dodgeball team and say, I'm willing to walk with you. I'm willing to pour into you. That's what David had. But, but to personalize it, some of us are those people. And, and normally you would look at those people and say, God can never use those people. They're the outcast. They're the people that are running. They owe people money. Like the, they're in trouble with the law, Literally. They're distressed because of it. But the, the word of God in the canon of scripture, they're described as mighty warriors. When you look at that, there is no excuse you can come up with. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what family what you came from. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your mom and dad have done. I don't care how, if, what your credit score is. Stop excusing yourself for the work of the ministry. You can bring them up to God. Bring them up to God, matter of fact, uh, and, and talk through that, just like Moses did. So, and I, I think that's uh, something I want to give people permission to do. Sometimes you feel like you can't be real with God. I respect Moses because he was real with God. He had that conversation. God was telling him to do this thing, and Moses was just saying how he felt. And the beautiful thing about telling God how you feel is he will, and, and having a conversation is he will correct you, and he'll point out your poor theology. He'll point out that, that your excuse. So I want to encourage you. Uh, you can make the excuses, but just talk to God about them and see what he says. Because there is no excuse that is, that is going to disqualify you. Because God, like just like Moses, God wasn't like, oh, I called you to do this. And Moses like, but I can't. He said, oh, good point. I forgot about how you can't speak very well. My bad. I'm going to go get someone else. God's given you a dream. He's going to equip you to do it. That's what we know. So stop excusing yourself. The third thing is this. So first, the question was, are you oblivious to the fight? Second, are you excusing yourself from the fight? And third is, do you know how to fight? Anybody know how to fight? All right. I'm going to bring two guys up here and we're, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> do you know how to fight? You ever seen someone um, just super excited to like, maybe it's to play a sport. Uh, maybe it's just to do, to do something. Uh, maybe it's in minute, maybe it's like serving on a team. I'm trying to think of a good example. Fifth grade, playing basketball. And the kid finally gets picked to play at recess. And he's just jazzed out of his mind. He's juiced up. He's pumped, whatever the kids are saying. He's like, let's go. And he's got all the energy. He's got all the fervor. He's got all the zeal. But he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't even know which basket to shoot in. And uh, he's kind of, we're kind of like, oh, why did we pick that kid? 
Uh, scripture talks about this similar thing, not basketball and fifth grade of recess, but, but Scripture talks about zeal without knowledge. And this is the simple description of it. It's not good. That's what the, the, uh, the author, the, that's what Solomon wrote in Proverbs. He said, zeal without knowledge or passion without knowledge is not good. And so it's not that zeal is not good. It's not passion is not good, but mixed with this knowledge. And so what I want to do is give you a little uh, training session on how to fight. Um, and I want to th- teach you how to throw a, throw a three-punch combo, a jab, a cross, and a hook real quick. This is like a mini sermon within a sermon. So the, the, the jab right there, hey, could you all, I just like engagement, like could you all just throw a jab with me right there? There it is, there it is. So, that, so that, that's a one, and then a two is a cross right there, and then a hook, a left hook. That's a three. So one, two, three. Don't punch your neighbor while you're in the process. So th- that's your punch in the devil right here. So this is how you punch the devil with a three-punch combo. Uh, so I, teaching you how to fight. Do you know how to fight? Uh, the, first, the, the first punch, the jab, is embracing humility. Humility is simply recognizing your identity rooted in Christ. Uh, see, Scripture says uh, in Ephesians 6.10, to strengthen yourself in the power of his might. And, and that passage is alluding to recognizing that you don't have what it takes. So just, just talking about that when you're feeling like your, your calling is bigger than yourself, that's a great spot to do because you are required to strengthen yourself, to be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. And when you embrace humility, uh, some people, a lot of people talk about pride and humility. Scripture does. Like I said, it, uh, in 1 Peter, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. But I, I'm, I'm a very analytical person, and so I've like dug into it's like when people say it's the opposite, uh, it's kind of semantics, but I don't think they're the opposite. They're, it's close to being the opposite, but if you describe it as pride being defined as an overestimation of oneself. So thinking you're all that in a bag of chips, thinking you're better than you actually are. You ever seen that kid? Ever seen that guy? Ever seen, you know that guy it's, it's at your workplace that's like, he's got it. God opposes the proud. So, and that's where this passage, that, that's why it makes sense that pride comes before the fall. But an overestimation of oneself, so that would mean the opposite of pride would be an underestimation of oneself. And so I don't believe that humility is thinking like you're, you're like your dirt, like your mud, like you're nothing, that you're worthless. The, 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 what I believe humility is, is having an accurate estimation of oneself. And what is an accurate estimation of oneself? What's truth? Truth is in the word of God. And when you align yourself to truth about how, what, what is your worth, what is your value, it is actually very, very high because scripture says that all who believe and all who put faith are given the right to be called a child of God. And I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty amazing. I don't need any more worth. I don't need any more street cred. When I think about the creator of the Andromeda galaxy and the creator of the vastness of the complexity of a eukaryote cell calls me his son. Like that's all I need. When I say I am a child of the living God, the child of the most high, that is what humility is, is recognizing that you are called a child of God. And when you embrace humility, you recognize that your father loves you and he equips you. So the first thing to throw the jab is humility. And the second, this is a powerful one. You could get a lot of power. You turn your foot over and and, and strength comes from your entire body and your weight. You knock the devil out. You don't even need the third punch. But the second punch is to eliminate the lies. Uh, 
A strategy of Satan is to deceive your mind with lies. That's the main strategy of Satan. It's just because everything, it, it, the most important thing about you is your beliefs. That affects your behavior. Everything about you, the most important thing about you is what you believe. So the enemy is going after your mind. He's going to try to deceive you. He's the father of lies. Literally, Scripture says that's his language. Everything he says is a lie. And so the enemy's goal is to, to get you to believe a lie. And that's why if I'm going to tell you how to fight the fight, just like, just like the, in the NBA or any sports, they're watching footage of their opponent. The Warriors were watching footage of the Celtics, and that's, that's why they closed it out apparently. Because, I don't know if you guys are happy or sad about that. But for me, I'm a, I used to be a Sacramento Kings fan because that's where I'm from. And uh, just to give you some context, the, the, we are setting records. The Sacramento Kings just tied the record for the longest play, uh, playoff drought in the NBA. And, and here's, here's the hook. You know who they tied it with? Themselves. That's how bad the Sacramento Kings are. But anyways, uh, in, order to, to know the strat- in order to win the fight, you got to know the strategy. And the strategy of Satan is to attack your mind with lies, just to get you to buy a lie. And I used to be, be very, like, discouraged when people would get up at church and be like, y'all need to fight the fight, uh, wrestle not against flesh and blood, but spiritual warfare. That when I, when I would be, when I would tell, when someone would tell me, you got to do spiritual warfare, it felt weird, forced, and unaffected to me. Because I thought it was just like yelling at the devil to knock it off. Like, I was just like, okay, like, knock it off! Like, is that, is that how, is that what, am I doing it right? And I'm all about that too. Sometimes you do just need to t- say that. But I believe a more effective strategy that's, that about five years ago, I read this book and it made so much sense to me that I want to pass it on to you is a strategy, I sometimes just like practical stuff. And this was so helpful to me, is I prayed a prayer, because like, I'm not sure what to pray, I'm just like, like I said, devil, knock it off. But if the strategy is for you, is is the enemy to get you to believe a lie, I would just pray, God, show me what lie I am believing, and replace it with truth. And there's a promise attached to that, I don't know if you know this, that, that John chapter 16 says, the spirit of truth will lead you to all truth. And there's another passage in John, and this is more familiar, that you will know the truth and the truth will do what? So some of us are not even aware that we're being captive because we're buying a lie. I thought it was significant that not only is this Father's Day, but it's Juneteenth, which is the celebration of slaves finding out that they were actually free. For a long period of time, it had been declared, the abolition, it has been declared, but, but only a few hours away, my wife and I visited actually two years ago when we were at the conference, we, we drove down to Galveston, and we actually went to that, that room where they believe is the place where they announced it. And I wonder how many people are just unaware that they don't have to be bond in, in slavery. Slavery in their minds. And I wonder, some of us just need to know, you don't have to live like that. You can be free. And some of us don't even know we're walking in a way in which we don't have to. You don't have to walk bound. You don't have to walk with chains. You don't have to walk in slavery. You can walk in freedom. And that that freedom, true freedom, comes from finding truth. That's why Scripture says that, that you will know it. And that truth will set you free. 
And that's why it was so significant to me when that, when that happened, when I just started praying. So I just want you to pray. I want you to remember this. Maybe even write this down. I really believe. And again, this is not me being so over-spiritual, calling ever, everything the devil. But I remember this since I was in like, since I was like in 11th grade probably, which is like four years ago. I'm just kidding. I'm like 33. But I remember this from, from, from years back, is that the enemy might take it out of your mind, but he can't take it out of your notes. And I think I was like paper, but maybe writing it down on your phone. And I want you to remember this prayer. And when you get stuck, I want you to pray this prayer and just say, Lord, show me the lie I'm believing and lead me to a liberating truth. Because that's a promise. He, scripture says the spirit of truth will lead you to all truth and truth brings freedom. The third, the third thing is to recognize your authority. See, some of us are walking around and not recognizing that God's given us authority, that we need to walk in our authority. See, my daughter, uh, nine years old, Charlotte, stand up. She's very shy. Um, I'm just kidding. She's not shy. Good. Turn around and wave to everybody. See, I told you she was shy. Love her so much. So it's me and her traveling across this, uh, uh, this country on a like, special road trip, and it's very meaningful to be uh, here on this Father's Day, too. Um, but I bring her up because about four years ago, probably, she was, yeah, she was probably five years, years old, I went to the beach. And I have this weird ritual when I go to the beach, and maybe this is connected to me being a pastor and just needing some, uh, some release. And so every time I go to the beach, I bring a shovel. And I just go to the, we set up, and then I, we set all our stuff up, and the kids are playing, and I just start digging a hole. And I start digging this hole. Did you ever read that book, Holes? I did when I was a kid, so maybe that was where it comes from. But for some reason, I find it very therapeutic just to dig this massive hole. And then I'm, like, tired. I often take a nap. And what happens is the kids just like, oh, let's play in the hole. They're rolling down it. They're jumping in it. They're like, it's like the UFC cage fighting where, like, got them in there and play some bets and stuff. But what happens is, um, is for it, there's other families at the beach, and it just attracts other kids. They're just like, like come around and they're like, whoa, check that out. Hey, you guys, there's a hole over here. Like, and then there's just like a herd of cats just like come finding. They're like, I found a hole. This is dope. They got a hole. And uh, for some reason, they love it. And uh, we, I'm always all about it. Yeah, bring the families over. Let them all play. Let's, let's just have more than merry. I'm all about it. But uh, I remember this uh, because Charlotte was playing in there. Uh, it was the afternoon probably. And Charlotte was just hanging out in the hole. Uh, having fun. And, um, right? Yeah, she says, yeah. Uh, and these older, so she was five years old. And I would guess like these three boys that were at least three years older than her and more um, came up and they saw the hole. Apparently they wanted to, that to be their hole. And they walk up to her and I'm, I'm walking like from here to her uh, or I'm stand, sitting back, relaxing. And I watch these kids come up to her and say, hey, this is our hole. Like, that's what they said. Like, hey, this is, this is our hole. And she did not hesitate. She just looked up to him, and she's like, my daddy built this hole. <laughs> and they were like, oh, they were shook. This five-year-old just told him what's up. This five-year-old girl just told these three older boys what's up. And then they just, like, paused and, like, slowly turned. And I was just sitting there laying in my chair like, what's up, bro? And they just walked, walked away very discouraged because they didn't know that Charlotte was operating in her father's authority. Oh. 
How many of us, you need to just recognize your authority that you walk in. You're not a victim. You're not defeated. The victory has already been won. And I want to encourage somebody, just like Charlotte, when, when opposition comes your way, you recognize the authority that God has already given you. You recognize the authority that your father has bestowed upon you. You recognize that, that my dad built this. My father built this. I am his workmanship made in his image. You don't take this and just give it up. Some kids would just be like, all right, this is yours. But she recognized the authority, the author of her faith, of, of that whole, but the author of your faith and your life and the finisher of your faith is you're walking in God's authority. And that's how, by that third punch, you embrace humility. You eliminate the lies. You hit him with that hook. The devil's done. He's scared. He's out for the count. That is how you fight the fight. But the fourth thing I want to ask you is, are you willing to do what no one else is doing? Because true impact, things of meaning, things of purpose, things that will change the trajectory of other people's lives is going to require you to do what no one else is doing. And I could say it this way, miracles, the things that don't make sense in the natural, the things that are supernatural, for example, defeating 800 men with a spear or, or defeating every, the Philistines when everyone else flees is a supernatural ministry. You can't, supernatural victory because scripture says that, that the Lord gave them victory and you will see those miracles. So maybe another question to ask is, have you seen miracles in your life? And if you haven't, I'm going to point you back to that question. Maybe, the quest, maybe you haven't seen miracles in your life is because you haven't given God opportunity to do them. And doing what no one else is doing. Shama and Eleazar, the two descriptions of those, the, the second of the three, described as everybody else was fleeing. Everyone else was running in fear. Everyone else was scared and running, but they stood and they rose and they fought the battle and they did what no one was doing. And I think God is looking for people who are willing to do what no one else is doing. It's so easy to go with the flow. It's so easy to just run with that, with the direction of the common stream. But I believe God is searching for people in Beaumont, Texas that are willing to take a stand. Scripture says they stood and they rose and they saw the Lord Bring about a great victory. The thing that they wrote down in scripture that can't be described in the natural, but only in the supernatural. I don't know about you, but I want to live a life that says I'm not doing what everyone else is doing. I'm willing to do what no one else is doing. And I want to see God do miracles because of the audacious faith. Me willing to believe what scripture says. Like that's, that, that takes a lot of gusto. That takes a lot of audacity to believe in this thing. I don't know if you guys realize that. Is, is, is scripture should challenge you. Like sometimes you go to church and you just want a nice pat pack on your bat back. But God, when we read scripture, it should challenge us. It should be like, man, that doesn't sit well with me. That, that causes me to think differently. That's because the natural meets the supernatural and it causes you to step up another level. To do what no one else is doing. The last question I have for you is, are you willing to keep fighting? See, right now everyone's celebrating uh, and everyone's like encouraged. I'm like, Warren, you're planting a church. And I'm like, bro, I haven't even gotten started. Ask me in five years and then we could talk. So it's easy to start something sometimes. And, and I will say it did take a lot of faith just to do this. And I'm, I'm not downplaying that or doing some false humility thing. But I believe 
What, what matters is those that are willing to keep fighting. If some of you have been fighting, some of you are listening to this message and you're like, yeah, I already know that, Lauren. Yeah, I've heard this one before, Lauren. But still, you need to be reminded because some of us have stopped fighting. Some of us have grown weary. And I want to tell you, it's worth it. I want to tell you, it's worth it to fight. That fight is hard. That fight is lonely sometimes. That fight is incredibly discouraging and will, will, will cause you to say, man, it's so much easier to go with the flow and flee just like the rest of the men of Israel. But it takes courage. It takes audacious faith to say, I'm going to stand and rise and I'm going to keep fighting. Even when, when, when it was described as Eleazar, his hands grew weary, but he still stood and he still fought. And at the end of himself, he found the Lord bring about a great victory because he was willing to keep fighting. I want to honor someone today, and it's, it's not anybody you know. It's my uh, wife's grandma. Uh, I, I took a picture with her just this Tuesday. Um, she's 91 years old. She planted three different churches when she was in her 20s and 30s with her husband. Her husband passed away seven years ago, and she's suffering from dementia now. And uh, I had the opportunity to live right next door to her for the past 18 days because I moved in with my in-laws uh, before we transitioned out here. And every day I would, uh, and, and probably... On a, on a usual basis, like four or five times a day, I would explain to her who I was, what I was doing, and remind her of, of what, what's, what's going on because she's suffering bad from dementia now. But this, I, I took this picture right before me and Charlotte got in the van and we were saying goodbye to our family. And I went up to her and she was looking at me and she was, I, I could tell because this happened every day, she was trying to place who I was. But, but it was a really beautiful moment. I could tell she, she didn't exactly know who I was, but I could tell she loved me. I could tell she just had this, this affection and this joy of, of seeing me. And I told her, we're going to plant a church in Florida. That's what we're, why our van's packed up and we're going. And I saw tears run down her face and I started to say, Grandma, we're doing this because you did ministry, because you fought the fight. And you were willing to keep on fighting. And she's still fighting the fight because right then and there she started, she prayed for me. And that's, she often asks, well, I don't know why God's had me alive. And she says, I guess it's just to pray. And so she's the first person on Neighbors Church prayer team. And I, and, and I believe, I wanted to encourage you with this. Is that for, for me personally, that this is my goal. You know, as a kid say, there's goals. This is my goal. I want, I want to, to, to look back and whether it's uh, whatever physical state I'm in, I, I admire this so much and I admire and I honor the faithfulness of those who've gone before us. And when I see this, I want to say, I'm willing not just to, to start the fight, but I wanna fight the fight till the end. I wanna fight the fight till the end, a lot of scripture, a lot of heroes in the Bible, a lot of people in the Bible, there's a vast majority that didn't actually end well. Most of them didn't. And so I wonder if there's a select few, I wonder if there's people in this room that wanna be a part of the select few that would fit into the, same, the, the, 
the group of people that's saying, I'm willing to fight to the end and willing to fight for what matters, for the dreams God's put in your heart to make a difference in the world. Despite opposition, despite mental health challenges, despite financial challenges, despite bitterness, despite, despite relational backbiting and relational hurt, and anything that the enemy would throw at you to get you to stumble, are you willing to keep fighting for it? Because it's the only thing worth fighting for. Because this world is like a vapor. This, this life on earth is like a vapor. And without it, I mean, we, if we, without fighting the fight, it will come and go and we'll wonder what we fought for. And so I want to encourage Redemption Church to fight the fight. I believe God has some of us today, specifically with this idea of being on Father's Day, that God wants to let you know that you have, some of us in this place have been fighting with wounds. You're not fighting the fight because you're wounded. And God wants you to know that he is the, the one who is close to the brokenhearted. And scripture says he binds up their wounds. He heals their wounds. And some of us today, uh, this, this wasn't in one of the five points. It's an extra thing, but I, it was something uniquely placed on my heart for this church is that he wants to heal the father wounds because for some of us today walking in on Father's Day and we talk about fathers and father this and father that and God the father and you're like, take a deep breath because there's bitterness, there's pain. And God is the perfect father. Maybe you didn't have the perfect father. Actually, I guarantee you, you don't have the perfect father because no one is. And he wants to heal that. And I, I believe there's the, the prayer team's coming up at the end of service. And I want to challenge you to, to come up for prayer for that. And, and, just, and I just want to let, let you know that God wants to heal that. The second thing about fatherhood um, is I feel like for, for the father of the house in this place, for Byron, uh, I want to remind you that God has called you to be a spiritual father to this region. And despite having an absent father in your life, you are going to be what's miss, what you had missing in your childhood and show the love and show the, the, the heart of the father to a group of people and to a region that, that desperately need the heart of the father. And so this is what God wants for us today. He wants wants you to pick up the towel if you've thrown it in and he wants you to keep fighting for for what matters most would you bow your heads in this place and just allow the lord to speak to you father thank you for what you're doing i pray that you would just have your way in this place god encourage and equip and empower us today god i just rebuke the the work of the enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy and wants to sow seeds of doubt and wants us to believe a lie. And I pray the truth would bring freedom today. I pray for healing to happen where there's bitterness. I pray for freedom to happen where there's bondage. And I pray for, for you to work a great victory like you did with the mighty men of Israel. And miracles would happen. Miracles would happen in this church. There'd be a spirit of freedom in this church a legacy of miracles, a legacy of impact. God, I pray for fathers in this place that they would rise to the occasion. I pray for fathers in this place who also had an absent or abusive father, that they would rise to the place and show the heart of the father as they know the perfect father. And I pray for healing to take place in Jesus' name.